Now, it was Emo Phillips, comedian, Emo Phillips. Never thought I'd get a chance to bring him up in a sermon. He tells this joke a lot better than I do, this uh, encounter he had with some man, and it's a whole great encounter, but they get to talking about faith, and Emo asks the man, says, well, are you Christian? The man says, yes. Emo says, so am I. Say, well, are you Catholic? Are you Protestant? And the man says, I'm Protestant. And Emo says, so am I. He says, well, what franchise? Baptist. Well, so am I. Well, are you Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? Northern Baptist. Well, so am I. And they go on and on. He says, well, are you conservative Northern Baptist or liberal Northern Baptist? Well, I'm conservative. Well, so am I. Well, this is great. Well, are you fundamentalist, conservative, northern Baptist, or are you reformed, conservative, northern Baptist? Well, I'm fundamentalist, conservative, northern Baptist. Well, so am I. This is wonderful. Are you Great Lakes Council of 1879, fundamentalist, conservative, northern Baptist, or are you Great Lakes Council of 1912, fundamentalist, conservative, northern Baptist? The man says, well, I'm Great Lakes Council of 1879, fundamentalist, conservative, northern Baptist, which... Emo says, die, you heretic. (laughs) Of course, that story isn't me making fun of any other denomination or or church, church group. Because actually, we all have this tendency, don't we, to choose our sides and create our battle line. We live in a world where there are United Methodists, there are Free Methodists, there are Regular Methodists, and so on and so on. And so if anybody's being made fun of, it's really all of us, because we just have this tendency, don't we? And what a greater illustration of that than what's going to happen on Tuesday night of this week. Some of us will have a chance to watch the State of the Union Address. Hmm? You have the leader of the nation who leads the free world, right? Here the president is, standing before all of the elected officials, people whom we've elected into office that represent us, right? And the president will be speaking, and the president will say something, the sentence will come up, and this side of the congregation will arise forth in applause and and adoration, right? And they'll be clapping and hooping, while this side of the congregation is... About 20 seconds later, the president will give another sentence. And then this side of the congregation will arise in thunderous applause and be hooping and hollering while this side of the congregation gets their chance to mumble and grumble. I've always felt sorry for the people behind the president. I don't understand why they're always in the picture. But you kind of feel like they have to clap no matter what, right? You feel bad for them. Now, that's sad, and it's funny. It's sad because it's true how we tend to be. It's funny because, man, we can be so sometimes. Now, the problem is, when we bring those kinds of attitudes and behaviors into the life of the church. You see, the Apostle Paul, he knew the pagan culture that the Corinthian church was in. And he knew that it was pretty much standard for the pagans to find a teacher who taught well or who spoke well, who had a certain way of thinking. And then that teacher, he, most of the time, if not all the time, would gather his following. 
and his following would be against the following of somebody else. And somebody else's teacher, they'd go at it. And so it became them versus them versus them and versus them. Your teacher doesn't know anything. Your teacher's ignorant. Your teacher's a dummy. And so on and so on and so on. You can see how that happened. And the problem is, is that the people in Corinth, the Corinthian church, brought all of that into the life of the church. And so they were aligning themselves with whom or by whom they were baptized. Or they were aligning themselves by their social economic status. Or they were aligning themselves for other reasons. And in aligning themselves in those kinds of ways, what they were doing was dividing the church. They aligned themselves in ways that divided themselves. Now, what's really, really important to take away from that, from Paul's understanding, is that the church was supposed to be different. But here they were doing the same things. Now, this is interesting because this is the same Apostle Paul, who, if you remember in the book of Acts, has a big disagreement with his his running mate, right, his apostle friend Barnabas. And they disagree, so much so that they part ways. Paul goes one way, Barnabas goes another way to do whatever else they got to do. And it's the same Paul in the book of Galatians that openly talks about how he confronted Peter to his face. He opposed him to his face. And here you have this apostle Paul talking about being unified and being together. Now, I think that's good for us to remember because it helps us realize what Christian unity is and maybe even what Christian unity is not. And I want to give you three things, at least three things, that Christian unity is not. First, Christian unity is not getting along. You know how it is. Fake smile. Half laugh. <laughs> All in the sake of getting along. Well, I don't know what he's talking about, but, you know, I don't know why she's all like that. That's not Christian unity. In fact, getting along, just for the sake of getting along, in a lot of ways is probably more damaging than many other things. I'd rather go through the pain of just saying what needs to be said than have to watch the ordeal just play out and play out and play out. Watching a relationship be strained, watching friends just divide themselves, all because they had to get along. Y'all with me? So Christian unity, one, is not getting along. Also, we see that Christian unity is not is not avoiding conflict. We have this idea in our minds that the church is supposed to be a place where everybody's happy, getting along, and there's no conflict. How real is that? Sometimes we look at the early church, we think, man, that early church had passion, they had fire, boy, I wish we could get back to those days. But what we've got to remember and consider is that that early church, it didn't take them very long before they started biting one another. It's, just, it's, it's, it's unavoidable. 
We all have experiences. We all have ideas, passions, and opinions. And when you bring all of those things together in one place, there is going to be conflict. Now, maybe conflict is handled inappropriately. Maybe it's let swept away. Maybe it's not dealt with right. But it is unavoidable. That doesn't make it bad, does it? Sometimes conflict can be good. Please disagree with me so I can understand where you're coming from. And please listen to me so you can understand exactly where I'm coming from. What good would a marriage be if they just tried to avoid conflict? Sometimes you just got to get it out, air it out. Hmm? All husband said. So something else Christian unity is not. Christian unity is not getting everyone to think alike. It was General Patton is given the, uh, the credit for the quote. If everybody is thinking the same, then somebody's not thinking. See, some of you are smarter than me. You all think differently than I do. We all have different ways of seeing things. And if our goal is to sort of get it, erase all that and get everybody to think the same thing, what good is that? All that does is stifle the creativity that God gives each one of us. We all need to think. And that's probably why in all the churches I've been at, there's always those church meetings that just frustrate you. And usually the ones that frustrate you the most are the ones where people just kind of go, yeah, okay, that's fine. Whatever you say. Go ahead, just do it anyway, because nobody wants to think. So th- three things at least that Christian unity is not. It's not just getting along. It's not avoiding conflict. And it's not trying to get everybody to think alike. Now, three things I will tell you at least Christian unity is. Christian unity is following me. It was Jesus who gave each one of the disciples the call to follow me. Now, here's what's great about that. Fishermen and tax collectors don't always agree on things. They don't always see eye to eye. And if you think about Jesus calling out the disciples, you know, it's one of those things we talk about it so much. When Jesus calls the fishermen, he tells them, come follow me and I'll make you what? You ever thought? When he went to go call a tax collector, he said, come follow me and I'll make you fisher of men. What? So I kind of wonder if in some way, maybe, God is affirming who we are. Each one of us. Each one of us has the same calling to follow me. Whether we're fishermen, whether we're tax collectors, whether we're weathermen, whatever we do. Christian unity is about you and me following me, me being Christ. That make sense? It's about recognizing where our calling is. Christian unity is also not about following a particular teacher or preacher or holding to the authority of one denomination over the other. That is not... Christian unity. 
Following him does not mean you have to follow me. I have to tell you, in, in our context as United Methodists, you know how the preacher business goes. Preacher here one year may not be here another. Right? So sometimes I'll remind people, and I have to be careful, at least I can explain it the right way, is that I don't just want to be your pastor. Right? I want this to be your church. Because we all know, in our context as United Methodists, in a few years, what happens to me? I move on. And if you are here because I'm here, or any other preachers here, what happens when that preacher leaves? What happens when that preacher lets you down? What happened when that preacher wasn't everything you thought she or he was? But if this is your church... You will be here. You'll put up with some preachers. Hmm? <laughs> You'll thank God for others. But this is where you will be. Are y'all with me? And that is a part of answering the call to follow me, not going where the crowd is, not going where that preacher is, because it's not about the preacher. It's about what's being preached. Hmm? Christian unity is about this idea of working together. There's a somewhat new book out. It's called Comeback Churches. It's sort of a, an analysis of 300 congregations in America who sort of made a comeback, right, who were in decline but turned it around. And obviously we don't have time to go through all the dynamics of what they did and strategy, but here's what I'll tell you is common throughout. Each one of those churches did whatever they did together. If they were praying, they were praying together. If they were going out into the community, they were going out into the community together. If they were planning, they were planning together. There was nothing, there was no church that can fulfill its call to have people follow me if one person or a small group of people is trying to do all the work. Christian unity is about all of us answering the call to follow me and putting that call into practice. All of us. Now, maybe some of us can't climb ladders anymore, but we can sure still pray. And maybe some of us can't get along with kids like we want to, but we can sure be with parents. We can sure plan. We can do other things. Are you all with me? It's about all of us doing something. And a final thing I'll suggest to you that Christian unity is, if we say it's about following me, if we say it's about working together, then I think we need to say that it is also very difficult. I mean, we love each other, don't we? But man, can't we get on each other's nerves sometimes? Let's just, can we be real for a second? Don't point fingers. That's not helpful. But that's the reality of it. You see, what it means, stop it, Mickey. <laughs> you see, what it means to follow me at this point in my life may be different from what it means to follow Christ for you right now. Or you may have different ideas about what it means to follow me, to follow Christ. And when we bring all those things together, boy, we can find out it is really hard sometimes. But it's so worth it, isn't it? 
So that leaves us here. We're trying to figure out how we can live in unity together. And we have to realize as well is that if we can do it here, we can do it anywhere. If we can learn what it means to be in Christian unity here with each other, then when we walk out these doors and go to work tomorrow or we go wherever we need to go and deal with whoever we need to deal with, we can learn more how to do it there as well. So there's a few things I want to sort of give to you as a way for you to think about putting into practice this unification, this unity that Paul is talking about. And the first thing I think we had to realize there's something we can do to make sure there is unity is to admit to ourselves that we could be wrong. Now, I know what you're thinking. Trust me. Look who's talking, right? But is there a possibility I could be wrong? If I can admit that, I can do great wonders for opening the door for this kind of unity. Admit to ourselves we could be wrong. Another thing we can do is learn more to practice forgiveness. Forgiveness of others, yes, but what about forgiveness of ourselves? Can we learn that as well? Think about the way our relationships can change with each other. Think about the way we can be in ministry with each other. We can learn to forgive each other and also ourselves. Ask yourself, whatever it is you find yourself in conflict over, how does this affect my impact to follow me? Does it? If it doesn't, is it really worth fighting over? And what I'm fighting over, is it something selfish, something here today and gone tomorrow? Does it really impact my walk with God? If not, maybe I could chill. And another thing, a a way us United Methodists are, are trying, I think, to live into more of what that means to be in Christian unity, that tagline, you know the tagline, right? Open hearts. Open and open doors. We open our doors because that's a way to show everyone that, yes, we, we want and we expect everyone to be here. This is a place for God's people, not just for me, not just for you. And in these times when we're trying to figure out how to live in Christian community together, here or in other places, sometimes it's good for us to think about how open our minds are, how open our hearts are. And while, and I wish I would have said this first, man, it's so awesome. While having open minds are good, open hearts are better. And if we could open our hearts more, I'm sure some of that division would cease. Now, the Apostle Paul, and what we read from 1 Corinthians, if you want to look at it real quick, there in chapter 10, it's really kind of funny, kind of funny rhetoric. I know sometimes we think of Paul being this stale old guy with no, no, nothing funny in his bones, but he kind of does if you look at what he says. In verse 13, let me just read some of it. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? This is where it gets really funny. I thank God that I baptized none of you. Well, except for Crispus and Gaius. So that no one could say that you were baptized in my name. Well, I did also baptize the household of Stephanus, right? And beyond that, oh, let me see. I'm not really sure. I, no, I don't think I baptized anybody else. I think it's supposed to sound kind of funny. 
sound rather kind of silly, actually. And if you can read that and hear how silly it sounds, then you can know how silly we sound when we start talking about music in church sometimes. Well, we don't sing this kind of song. It's not real. Or when we start talking about church buildings, or when we start talking about how we do communion, or how we're supposed to dress, or which Bible translations are we supposed to use, or which denomination has the most authority. You see how silly we can sound when we're not careful. Paul asked, was Christ divided? Of course, the answer is no. But Christ was broken. And Christ was broken so that all of us could be one. When all of us come together, we remember that bread that was broken, the body of Christ broken, so that each one of us could be one together. Paul says that's foolishness to the world. But for us who are being saved by that brokenness, it is the power of God. Brothers and sisters, may it be so here in this place and in your world as well. Let us pray. Oh, loving God, we thank you that you have made us one. By the foolishness that comes out of the message of your cross, we are saved, and we thank you, God, for that message. Help us more to live into that unity that you want for your people, to set aside the things that only divide us, that keep us further from you, and that keep us further from each other. Make today be a day we can recognize the calling that you have for every one of us to follow you figure out more how that translates into life outside of this church as well. Thank you, God, that you forgive us when we divide ourselves and that out of your broken body we can rise. In Jesus' name.